Father, we we are amazed. We are amazed, Heavenly Father, how you desire to be with us, to spend time with us, to draw us close. Lord, I pray that today, today we would recognize you in a fresh way. That we'd know, oh God, that your love is good for us. That your mercies are new every morning. Father, would you have your way in everything that we do today? I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, Father, we would be strengthened as a result. We'd be encouraged. Draw close to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, worship team. I appreciate your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit so much in your leading. Thank you. Thank you for using your gifts and abilities. Just something about those old songs, right? They, they remind us that God is certain and that he's true. You know, that he doesn't change. Things around us can look different. Uh, but when we go back, it's a, and I said it's a 9 o'clock service, it's almost like an anchor point. You know, I go back there and I, I think about those songs that we sang as a kid growing up in church. And I'm like, something about just remembering who our hope is anchored in, where our faith and our, our trust lies. And so it brings up a lot of that, that feeling of saying, God, I, I just trust you. I just, you know, I love you, Lord. And yeah, we serve a good God. This morning we're going to continue on in our, our series through the uh, fundamentals. And we're going to look at justification today. And I don't know about you, but I know from my life there was, I didn't always do what I should be doing. Anybody else? Anybody make mistakes, have to get disciplined for it? Yeah? Somebody says, no, I've never disciplined this thing. Might even be somebody I'm related to, and I'm like, mm, really? You know, when we think about it, I, and I, I needed discipline uh, once or twice, at least as a kid. Yeah, a day is right. Because I didn't always do things right. Like, oh, I remember. Good thing my dad's with Jesus today, and... I don't even, he probably expected it. You know, I was home alone, 15 years old. Uh, he left the truck keys. It's not my fault he left the truck keys at home. You know, I obviously didn't have a driver's license. But I, you know, you had to go out for things, and you just went out. And now, thankfully, I didn't get stopped by the police on that particular occasion. They met me a lot of times because of speeding. But on that occasion, they didn't. But, 
you know, it's one thing to, to make a mistake to, um, by the way, if you're a teenager without driver's license, I'm not suggesting that you take your parents' car out, just in case. It is one thing to, to make a mistake, and it's one thing for you and I to sin. And there's a price to pay, right? I mean, when I got a speeding ticket, I shouldn't say a speeding ticket, on one of the times I got a speeding ticket, actually all of the times I got a speeding ticket, I, I had to pay those fines. I remember when I was a poor high school student, I had a speeding ticket for the very first one. And I didn't have any money. I was like, zero. I probably didn't even have gas to put in my car. But I got a ticket. And I was guilty as charged. Now, they had an option back then. I don't know if they still have it today. It was called fine option. Where you went and worked off your fine. And so I did that. I went and worked off my fine. They got a lot of work out of me for, it seemed like such a small issue. Like, it's not like I did anything harmful, but it was still wrong. And, you know, when you think about justification, it's like, just let me off. Like, just let me go. When we talk about justification in our standing with God, it's actually a legal term. And in some translations, they look at that word justification, and, and they use the term acquittal, that all charges have been dropped. There's nothing there anymore. And it deals with our standing before God. It has to do with having the sentence of guilt changed to a sentence of peace. You're saying, no, pastor, I didn't do anything wrong, just you did. No, we all did. In fact, scripture tells us that there's not one righteous. We'll get to that in a bit, but We've all sinned, haven't we? We've all sinned. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that hasn't sinned. There's not one of us that didn't, oh, that was perfect. The, the little babies that were in the first service this morning, maybe, you know, Jocelyn's little one. Okay, they, they probably didn't sin yet. But we, as, as we grow up, as we get older, we are guilty. And we stand before God guilty of our sin. But we've been acquitted. Acquitted. It's been changed. Our sentence got changed on us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The important distinction to remember in this verse of Scripture is the difference between peace with God and the peace of God. We have peace with God. Paul writes in the, in the later in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a precious blessing for all of us who are in Christ. But peace with God comes through being justified and be having the peace of acquittal. It's not the peace of a relationship. 
It's not because we were so good that God just said, you know what, you're acquitted on all charges. It had nothing to do with you and me. It had everything to do with what Christ did on that cross. It wasn't because God looked at us and said, you know, you're such a good person. Let me just forgive it all. No. No. All humans need justification. Both the sinister and the outwardly moral people are equally guilty before God. You see, we get in our heads where we justify sin. Well, we say, you know what, the sins that I did, and I could even say that, well, when I took my dad's truck, it was, you know, it was a sin, but it wasn't as bad as if I would have robbed somebody or shot somebody. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. There is no levels of, of what separates us. All sin separates. All sin destroys that relationship that we have with God that God had intended from the Garden of Eden. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, and also verse 20. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We need to remember that the process of salvation is difficult to break up into its components, into different parts. And justification has to do with God pronouncing or declaring you and I to be righteous. I love it. The Bible tells us that not one is righteous. No, not one. But because of Christ, when he looks upon us who have received Christ, he says we are righteous. Wow. Wow. Not one of us make it on our own. But because of Christ, justification comes in. And he looks upon us and says, you know what? You're not guilty anymore. Technically, it's the process that makes us righteous in our action. Sorry, it isn't the process that makes us guilty. It isn't the or that makes us righteous, rather. It isn't the process of coming to faith. It isn't the, the prayer that we pray. It's Christ himself. We didn't add anything to it. You didn't pray the right prayer. You didn't give enough money. You didn't do anything to be made righteous. It was all God. It was all God. And we've been justified through nothing that we could do on our own. The shocking truth is that God justifies not the godly, but the ungodly. In Romans chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, it says, For what the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, 
but as his due. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, There are no righteous people, as it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. You see, if we already think that we're righteous, if we already think that we're good enough, then we don't need God. If we say, you know what, I'm good enough on my own, then you never come to the place of acknowledging that you needed a Savior. It's simply when we understand that before God, we are bankrupt. We are, our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is as filthy rags. But when we come to Christ, and we have to come to Christ, that we understand, I needed a Savior. So if you're godly in your own mind, then you're never going to say, you know what, I needed one to pay the price for me. I needed one to be the sacrifice for me. I needed to be purchased back. You see, it's not just the unrighteous or the ungodly whom God justifies. If you already think that you're righteous on your own merit, you'll never come to God. If you already think that you're good enough on your own, you never seek out a Savior. The one who justifies is the one who is declared by God to be righteous in spite of our sin. We should rejoice in the wonder of it all. Hear this. We don't have to prove ourselves and qualify for his justifying grace. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to come to God and say, God, I'm such a good person. God looks at you and says, you still needed me. You don't have to come to God and say, you know what, God, I pray so much. God, I give so much. God looks at us and says, you know what? It's not about you. Because you did nothing for this. You did nothing to get my righteousness. I gave it to you. And as we accept his righteousness... We don't have to be anxious about his final judgments against us because of our own lack of worthiness. We don't have to struggle to be accepted before God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't struggle sometimes with trying to please God in all we do because we should try to live to please him. But God in his righteousness, in God and who he is, freely declares you and I righteous. That part is like, my sin. My sin deserved death. Your sin deserved death. But God, by his grace, extends his righteousness to us. And we didn't do anything for it but accept it and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have made me righteous. You see, when I went to that courthouse because I couldn't pay my bill, and I said, well, I'll take the fine option. <laughs> you know, I'll go and pick weeds, or I can't even remember what I did. I was like 16. It would have been like somebody going up there and saying, you know what, no, it, this doesn't count. That's how it is. We stand before him righteous, like, like our sin should, and it's still there. 
But Christ comes and he justifies us and he says, I paid that. I covered that. It's good. He freely declares us righteous. Our grasp of this truth and our remembering of this truth has everything to do with the way we forgive others when they sin against us. The unforgiver proves that he or she has no deep concept of the most basic saving truth in the Christian faith. If you are unforgiving, if there's someone you cannot forgive, may I suggest that you don't understand forgiveness. Because Christ forgave us wholly and fully, and we should be extending forgiveness to others. Shouldn't we? He has no motive in trying to picture his own offenses when he's justified by God. When we come before him, it's like, God, I, I, my own sin, what, if my own sin doesn't separate, then somebody else should sin against me. That just needs to go. I need to forgive. I need to release. You holding on to unforgiveness is not, is not helping you. It isn't beneficial to your life to not forgive someone. You may wait a long time for somebody to say sorry, and they're never going to. You see, because sin has a price. And sin's price, of course, was Christ on that cross. And because sin had a price, the psalmist, he had a great rejoicing in the truth, knowing that God was going to change that. He says this in Psalm 32 and verse 2. He said, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Do you see your sin, my sin? God, God says we are blessed because he counts it not against us. He counts it not against us. I don't know about you, but if you're, some of you remember, some of you who are younger than me or maybe never had this, but you used to be able to buy things on account. Anybody remember? You'd go to the store and you'd say, just put it on my account. Well, my grandma had an account, so grandma bought a lot of things that grandma didn't know she bought. You know, because we like, just, just put it on her account. She's good for it. I'm sure when grandma got the bills, like, I didn't buy chocolate bars. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, it, but it's like God saying it's not on your account. Your sin, it's on his account now. It's on Christ's account. It's been taken care of. He paid for it. And not only the sin of our past, but even the sin that we do today. It's written on his ledger. It's not on mine. Because I stand before God righteous. Christ has paid that debt. He's taken that debt. And not just my past debt, but also my future debt. Paul expresses the same sense in Romans 4 and verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see, this is not a non-accounting of sin. Sin will still be there, but God no longer charges it against our account. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
There will be no assurance of salvation until we firmly grasp that, until we firmly understand my sin has been taken care of. It's no longer charged against me. It's what the cross of Christ is all about, isn't it? Dying for our sins. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, it says this, that is, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You and I have a message to proclaim, and that is the message of reconciliation, that God has purchased us back, that God has covered our sin, that even the sin we still do, he paid that price. That men and women can be reconciled back to God. The, there's no message to proclaim without this truth. Without the truth that we've been reconciled, that we have that our trespasses are not held against us. Because of Christ and through Christ. You see, God doesn't let us off the hook simply because he's very loving. God doesn't let us off the hook simply because he's very loving. God's love all by itself forgives no one. Some people have a weird concept of, of when God forgives our sins. That he's, you know, they say, well, God forgives and he forgets. No, God cannot forget. That's not an attribute that God has. He doesn't have the ability to forget. Rather, he doesn't hold it against us. You know, we, we think that, well, God forgives our sins and he forgets our sins. No, he's not some senile, absent individual in heaven who's just like, I, oh, I don't know, you sinned? Oh, I forgot that. God does not forget. He just doesn't hold it against us. And, and it's not that he isn't serious about holiness. The non-effects of sin is a result of receiving God's forgiveness. Specifically through the sin-bearing work of salvation in Jesus on the cross. It's because of Christ on the cross that when God looks at you and he looks at me, he says, you know what? You are justified. I didn't forget your sin. It was your sin that put my son on the cross. Let's not think God is dumb. He absolutely know our, knows our sin, but he charges it not against us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because it didn't matter what your sin was and what my sin is and was. It's been paid for. It's been covered. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, thank you, God, that you made a way. Thank you, God, that you have made a way for us. We can have full confidence, point four, if you're taking notes this morning. We can have full confidence in Romans chapter 8 and verses 33 to 34. It says this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There is no one in heaven accusing you before God. The accuser of the brethren has not been in heaven for a long, long time. He got the boot out of heaven. The only way the enemy accuses us is whispering in our ears. And we just need to say, no, I'm not listening to you anymore. That is not who I am in Christ. I've been justified. I've been made whole and clean. Satan, I'm not listening to you. You're a liar. God is not up there listening to condemnations of us. He's listening to his son Jesus who said, Father, I died for that sin. Father, I covered that sin. It doesn't matter what you're doing, what you've done. Jesus is interceding for you. Saying, Father, I love that. I died for that sin. I'm committed to this cross because of that sin. We can have full confidence at Christ appearing, not because of our own moral perfection, because God has already pronounced us righteous. You see, one of these days when we leave from this life and go to, to eternity, we will stand before our Heavenly Father and He will look at you and say, you're righteous, you're holy, you're blameless, you're clean. Come on, because of Christ. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything I've done, other than saying, God, I accept the fact that I'm a sinner and that you covered the, my sins in Jesus Christ and you've given me new life. We prayed a prayer something like that. But it was by faith. It had nothing to do with what you did. We took Christ's righteousness upon us. You see, not only does God not count our sins against us, He also credits to our account the righteousness of Christ. Not only does he not say, you know what, your sin is now on Jesus' ledger. He takes the work and the life of Christ, the sinless life, and places it on ours. We're covered by his righteousness. We've been covered by his grace and his mercy. In Jeremiah 33, in verses 14 to 16, it says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall ex execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell, will dwell securely. And this is the name by which all will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Paul wrote of that glorious day when this truth would finally dawn upon his struggling heart. And he wrote this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We must fully grasp what this means for us. We are credited with perfect righteousness, a complete righteousness, with nothing lacking. With nothing lacking. This is not a righteousness we achieve in order to have God pronounce us justified. It's not earned in any way. It's his righteousness. It's his work. We don't have to work it out our lives first to be righteous in order for salvation to occur. You've met people like that, and maybe you were even one like that. Well, I'll come to faith in Christ when I get some things cleaned up. You know, right now I've got this, I've got to straighten out, and that I've got to straighten out, and I'm just not good enough to come right now. God doesn't look at us and say, you have to straighten your life up before coming to faith in me. He says, come. Come on. Take my righteousness upon you. Because it's not about you. It's not about you right now. It's about my righteousness. Because in our own, in our own lives, and with the stuff of our, the sin of our own lives, we would stand before God guilty as charged. But he says, you know what? You take my righteousness upon you. You stand holy. You stand blameless, pure in my sight. It's by faith, isn't it? by faith. But this faith must be properly understood. This is not merely faith as a vague belief in God's existence or some supreme power. Paul makes it clear that we must believe in God as the one who completed the work of redemption in raising Christ Jesus from the dead. In Romans chapter 4, verses 22 to 25, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for, also, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Only faith in Jesus Christ, specifically focusing on and relying on the saving nature of his life and death, brings salvation. It's important that we don't turn faith into works, though. We try that, don't we, at times? Well, I have to do this. Well, I, I have to. We, we obviously turn things into works. And we say, well, I'm not a very good believer because I don't, and you fill in blanks. God doesn't look at you and say you're justified because of what you've done. We're not justified because of anything we've done. Nothing you have done or will do or try to do can make you Justified before God. You can't give enough. You can't pray enough. You can't be in church enough. God to say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you get, a, you get justified. We all get justified 
justified because of Jesus Christ. It's nothing we have done. But we bring questions up sometimes. We bring questions up over our anxiety, and our anxiety brings with it misguided questions or misdirected questions. We bring things up like, well, have I believed enough to be saved? My faith is weak. Is it sufficient enough? What if I experience doubts? What if you experience doubts? Say, Father, I help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Paul prayed that. You know, like let's look at our lives, and if we if we keep bringing the I questions in, then it's something we do, as opposed to saying, God, I thank you that you justify me that you make me whole, that you make me blameless in your sight. Our faith needs to to take us to the place where we rely on Jesus' finished work in spite of our fears and our doubts and our weaknesses. We are justified by him, for him. you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you have justified us. We were all sinners needing a Savior. And somewhere we prayed a prayer saying, Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need you. And I believe that Jesus Christ came to die as a sacrifice, to redeem me, to justify me before you. And I believe that he died on that cross and he rose again. And I commit my life to you now. If you prayed a prayer like that along the way, or maybe even today, then you are justified before God. It's not about us. It's about us accepting you by faith. But it's not about us trying to work for it. It's not about us trying to be good enough for it. It's about us receiving. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our lives. Father, would you make us a blessing? We thank you that you have given us and you've charged us with the message of reconciliation, of telling individuals on this earth that you love them, and that you've paid the price for their sin. And it didn't matter how big that sin was or is. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Would you be with us, Lord, this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next week we're going to look at salvation. And uh, we'll also have communion together. May God bless you and be with you. We'll see you next week, whether in person or online. May God strengthen your life.